And this gave me a general reflection on trends, which was that they do matter a lot across like populations, but on the individual level, they don't actually predict what a person's going to do at all. Interesting. I've just invalidated the whole episode, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> show hello 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 a podcast about learning languages and reaching your potential hello <laughs> my name is kirsten cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk and i'm here with the one the only the most milton Keynes based lindsay does languages from lindsay does languages.com hello hello here on the fluent show we talk about languages communication curiosity and enriching our lives through the challenge of learning something new Woo-hoo! good morning lindsay good morning can i compliment you on your rolled r there <laughs> that's very nice <laughs> it's very unusual for me to be able to do that oh me too like, it's like my struggle. podcast. Yes, like I can't do it on demand. And I have, there's a Gabe Weiner interview where he, or I'm sure he did it in seven interviews, so that I actually heard it in one. But Gabe Weiner once explained how to roll the R, how they do in Russian, which he says it's, if you want to say, if you say the words Prince of Prussia, but you say Prince of Prussia. So basically you do the P, close your lips and then, and then try to roll the R, then you'll get a good like R in the right place for Russian. But I think that's a different rolled R to how they do in Spanish. I mean, I'm not going to attempt that on a podcast. The P, <laughs> that I've said it now, is, <sighs> is the ultimate, you know, pop guard P. That's it? true. It's not very it's true. podcast friendly. Pop guard podcast. <laughs> Sorry, editor. <laughs> it's true. And um, from teaching a German pronunciation course or making a German pronunciation course, I know that the, the German R and French R are another different kind of R. So there's a lot of different kinds of R's. I think they're a tricky letter. I'm having a good morning with the rolling R's, but it is very unusual for me, I have to say. Mm. Oh, I've got another fun fact about that, Lindsay. Okay. I talked about this once with a speech therapist for children. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And she told me that... Beyond it being muscle memory or genetic, is you you actually grow um, the your muscles grow a certain way, and then at some point you you've stopped growing. Um, so things like rolling your R, if you didn't grow up with rolling your R, like making those sounds very very when you're very very small, it's also that your your physiology will make it harder for you. Yes. Thank you. See, this is what I believe. And I always struggle with people like, nope, you can do any sound at any age. I'm like, but I do feel that there are some where it kind of gets harder. So I appreciate Mm. that. Thank you. You validated my entire Spanish existence. (laughs) From the research I've read, which isn't that much, but my understanding has been that you know, because we, we obviously, obviously we fight very hard against this idea that you have to be like, you can only learn a language perfectly if you learn it when you're five or something mm, like that. Mm. Um, and I think my English is, I feel entirely comfortable every single day of my life living in England. And um, I didn't learn English when I was five. But we we kind of push against that. But from what I've heard, it's pronunciation that is the hard thing. Yep. But it really is where there really is a sort of, age not a kind of deadline or something like that where where age the age of acquisition makes a difference but for most other aspects of language that doesn't hold yeah and part of it as well is that children are less inhibited which is a good Mm. thing when you're learning Mm. a language and so when it comes to pronunciation they're more likely to want to just give it a go and try because they're not worried about saving face or anything like that you know yeah, and so much in a language is muscle memory, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know what else could be muscle memory? It could be when if you're really used to close exercises and your your mind just goes straight to the gap and your brain is so trained then to find what goes in the gap and you know what can train you in that? 
This is a great bridge. Oh, that I, I mean, okay. If you say it's a great bridge, it's a great bridge. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. I got to believe in myself here. <laughs> Well, it's that that exercise is obviously called a close exercise, you know, C L O Z E, and <laughs> I can't knock best, you for trying. The best possible way to train to close exercises and for being just generally a language practicing language practicing professional is with Clothesmaster. Whoop whoop! And here we are at the show sponsor. <laughs> we got there. Learning. Learning with Clothesmaster is fun, it's great language practice, and it's an app-based, but also web-based. But people say there's an app on a web. Anyway, um, it's a game. So the game is simple. You see a sentence in your target language, there's something missing, you got to fill in the gap. Clothesmaster uses high-frequency word lists built into sentences from real life, so everything you learn is natural content, and it's always words you're actually going to need. And best of all, I mean, Lindsay and I are big fans of this. Clothesmaster is available in over 50 languages. And also it works on Android, iOS and directly in your browser. And also you don't have to give them any money if you want to try it out. And also you can just watch and watch my setup and get the best Clothesmaster tips from me because I made you a video at Clothesmaster, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R dot com slash Fluent Show. Lindsay, would you like to read it out in the American pronunciation? <laughs> I'll try C-L-O-Z. Is that right? That's it. Okay. E-M-A-S-T-E-R dot com. <laughs> Oh, that was good. That was good. So that's Clothesmaster.com. In any accent, go there. And thank you so much to Clothesmaster for sponsoring and supporting our little mad fluent show out here. <laughs> now, Lindsay, how are you doing, first of all? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, I had a week last week where I feel that... I worked really hard, especially on Thursday. I just had so much on on Thursday. And Thursday is the day where at 6.30 in the evening, I do Welsh class online. And it was the kind of day where I got to Welsh class and that actually felt like a relaxing, kind of calm part of the day. I was nice. like, yeah, let's, let's review some prepositions. Cool, let's do it. <laughs> nice, that's cool. So I had a lovely time with that, yeah. Uh, I've been listening to the old, like... Welsh indie music and my my man Jarvis Cocker you recommended to me a French album that he's recorded so I've been listening to that as well oh good I'm glad I, I saw it it came up on like Spotify you know and it auto plays into new music I was like this is this is uh French and then I went to the opened it up to see what it was and I was like oh that's Kirsten's man let me let me send her a message about that <laughs> Indeed, that is, uh, well, not my man, but when I was 15, it was my absolute hero, Jarvis Cocker. And particularly the keyboarder, because it's one of the very few 90s indie bands that actually had a female member. Um, so I had a particular appreciation of Pulp's keyboarder, Candida Doyle. And I'm going to stop talking about 90s indie music that nobody wants to hear about. And let's talk about, because you know what, why? Oh, oh, Bridget, Bridget, come on, come on. Because it's not exactly trendy. <laughs> Woo! That one is 10 out of 10 for that. Thank you. Right, Thank you. I mean, trends, trends affect all areas of our lives. And today, Lindsay and I are going to dig into language trends. And before I start, I also want to just so, so recommend this article. I mean, there's lots of articles in the show notes. Some of them that we found in our research are so bad that I'm not going to link to them. But <laughs> and we'll talk about maybe why they are so bad later on. But there is one that I really enjoyed and it wasn't about languages, but about sort of consumer products in general from the point of view of um, a stationary blog that I follow. And it's called The Tyranny of Rose Gold. <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. It was, a, it was a really good read and kind of interesting uh, reflection on, I guess, the somewhat futility of trends and how they just, you know, how everybody's with Greta and then they're not and then everybody wants to get rid of plastic and how many trends just and how they influence our lives. Um, and 
Yeah, the good and the bad, the good and the bad. Um, Lindsay, do you, I, would you consider yourself a bit of a f trend p follower, fashion victim kind of person? Babes, I'm a trendsetter. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't consider myself a trend follower at all. Like, like if I see something kind of in a window, if we talk about clothes, right, I'm kind of going, if, if it's something that I would wear, I'd be like, oh, they stole my look. And if it's something I wouldn't wear, I'd be like, oh, that, I'm glad that's in fashion because I don't want to wear that. So I can just plod on with my own clothes. Do you know, does that make sense? Yes. So yeah. <laughs> you are almost, this is, because in the notes I wrote down about the, the scene from The Devil Wears Prada. You're almost a Devil Wears Prada type of I don't know. Trend I, I think I've seen that like film once. I'm, I'm not sure what that was in the notes. Okay. So there's a scene where Meryl Streep's character, who's the mm -hmm. fashion editor person, um, you she's know, we've well, got that. And then you've got Anne Hathaway. She's the devil. Okay. And then you've got the the, the Prada, I don't know. You've got you've got um, the person who wants the job, right? Anne Hathaway's character, mm -hmm. and Anne Hathaway is wearing this jumper where she's like, "Oh, this jumper is so unfashionable. I'm so not in this world. All of you people are like, uh, you know, like." And she's sort of this. Um, I'm not. You can't. You can't influence me. Um, and then you get this speech from Meryl Streep where she just talks about, well, you know, this color actually, the, this, this thing is only in this color because it was on this runway and this and this person like came up with this and then it was here and then it went through the shops and then it went through this and now you're wearing it. Um, and just kind of really like pulling her down. Um, but I, I thought that was really interesting because there is a, there is a truth that even if you like go out to resist a trend or if you just decide not to be involved, you're still, it's still like the water that you swim in, isn't it? Yeah, so to yeah, a certain extent, it just influences yeah. us. Yeah, that's true. Like it still exists around us. Like you say, not just fashion, but everything. Everything. Would you consider yourself a good trend spotter? My mum is. My mum, like... I mean, she and she and she considers herself a good trend spotter. Like she'll be like, well, I predict that such and such is uh, that's going to be the next big thing. It's going to be the next big thing. You would just be sat having a coffee in like, you know, if you go shopping or whatever. And you're just like, all right. Yeah. OK, ma'am. Here she goes again, predicting her trends. And she is often quite oh, right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And in a way. In a way, you you can kind of see it coming and you can kind of see how one thing influences another and then also bigger companies all kind of pick up on it because then it starts to do commercially well and it makes commercial sense to do more exactly. of it. Yeah. Um, and more people then see it and pick it up and copy from each other. Um, I kind of looked at, I started to think about where where could we predict a, f a trend from or what good advice is there for trend spotting um and we both kind of researched this and you looked at language trends and tried to find online about language trends and i tried to find about um just trends you know just sort of what's a trend um i found this very educational i, I went Lindsay. i went on youtube to try and learn something mm. I don't know why people do this. It was awful. Um, it was, I typed in sort of train, trend spotting, how to find a trend, what is a trend. And it was just full of very energetic young men um, with very kind of gear heavy microphone setups, which I appreciate as a podcaster, but they're not on a podcast, um, shouting into the camera um, very highly energetic phrases that I didn't really find very helpful about trend spotting, but it was it was all about forex, and then I had to work out what forex is. But it's interesting because everything that you've described in itself is like a trend on YouTube. <laughs> that whole style what, of, the of yeah, protubers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is. It just permeates, right? It was really everywhere. Like it was, mm. it was all I could find. So either because I was logged in, Google, Google own YouTube, don't they? Like yeah. they just think I really like talking about money, which is not wrong. But <laughs> but or, or there just wasn't anything else about it. And I found one educational thing where the most useful I took from the long video was a trend is a new pattern of behavior that gets documented 
So we all start seeing it in lots of places and then everybody starts doing it, which, to be honest, I mean, that didn't really tell me anything either. So in other words, that doesn't really... That didn't really help me. How about your research about language trends? So can I explain the story of why we're talking about this? Mm-hmm. A little bit, because I know, I know you've got a note that you don't want to talk about one thing in particular. I will not. Can I, can <laughs> I, just, can I mention it very, very briefly? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So we were in London, me and you, and... We're sat outside Cafe Nero's, not just sat, we're having a drink. <laughs> we're not just sat there like, we're sat outside Cafe Nero's <laughs> with a beverage. We had paid, we had the right to be there. And, and we're chatting about like Squid Game came up, right? So a few weeks ago, it was everywhere. And I, and I thought it was really interesting how in recent years, there's been this wave of Korean culture, very much becoming more and more popular in the wider world right and like I've, I've been chatting to someone recently who says you know their their younger child they were watching younger child like 15 year old they were watching this show squid game with their 15 year old it was you know of the age and um really interested in it but wants to learn japanese and i thought wow that's so interesting because i feel that when i was younger japanese had that role that Korean seems to have now of being like the cool language, being the trendy language that was like, you know, fringe mm-hmm. to everything that you did in school. And if you were learning Japanese, wow, that's so cool. How edgy or whatever. Right. And I'm thinking as Korean has kind of had these little moments of like pop culture internationally, Korean, has it now become that has is Korean the new Japanese in terms of language and so that's where we started so I was looking into this and I was trying to google like language trends um trendy languages coolest languages to learn and all of this and a lot of what was coming up was most important language to learn right and even the ones that were like cool language to learn were still like well, this is a cool language because it has millions of speakers and will be good for your CV. And I'm like, that's not what makes a language cool. That's not what I'm looking for. And it just, there was nothing really that seemed to hit on what it was we were trying to say, which I thought was really interesting. But I know you found some um, kind of resources that we can dig into a bit more, like with actual stats and stuff. But yeah, I just thought that was so interesting that nothing was really kind of tapping into the essence of what we were looking for with like, what is the trend of of language right now? What is the coolest language, mm-hmm. you know? And that's not to say that I think there are languages that are uncool, like every language is is great. But in terms of the wider trend that we all kind of like you said with with fashion and stuff that we all kind of exist in is there anything that is the cool Ooh. language i'm not like a regular language I... i'm a cool language sorry couldn't resist oh my gosh it's <laughs> pop culture madness um i found i found a zoolander um a zoolander gif as well for the show notes because i i kept thinking of like this hansel is so hot right now um <laughs> Okay. Um, yes, I found some stats interesting as well. That you're saying like, is there an uncool language? I think I think there is possibly a language that is uncool. Okay. Um, okay. Very sad. Very sad story. But yeah, I'll I'll come to that in a in a minute as well. Uh, yes, I've got a I've got a little bit of data, and on the on Korean, I actually I actually thought about this for a little bit, and I thought this isn't just. Like, we think a little bit of Korean as like, oh, yeah, this is cool now, like, overnight, the last few years, like, BTS and mm. K-pop and all these things. But then I, when I thought about it, I was like, it's almost like, have we forgotten about Gangnam Style? Oh, yeah, Gangnam Style was, like, the start of this wave. That was wave. huge, that was exactly. The, yeah, that was the start of it for me with Korean. And also, I, I found something else out that I forgot to mention when I was doing the research this. Something that like there's there's estimates of like ninety percent of people I don't don't quote me on that but a very very high percentage of people that watched Squid Game internationally did not watch it in Korean did not watch it with subtitles 
they watched it in mm-hmm. their native language. And I and I was so deflated by that. I was like, oh, no, no don't. I mean, no. But still, it's still interesting that we are becoming, you know, I say we as like the world population are becoming more open to the concept of things not, and I'm going to yeah, say not in English because yeah, I think it's primarily English speakers that still hold a bit of the barrier to that. But yeah. I don't know whether the fact that we have Netflix deciding to create more content for specific markets where the native language is not English, which I think is is what we're, huge. What we're feeling here. And, and they're yes, committed. there is a sort of, you know, there's a fascination with K-pop and stuff. I don't think, I would not feel confident to then go from that to we as a world population are more open to other languages. Yeah, and that's what, and that's what, that was what got me kind of like uh, deflated on it because I was like, this is really exciting. Oh no, everyone's just putting the English subs on. But think, think of um, when S4C, the Welsh broadcaster, mm-hmm. makes crime dramas that it, that it thinks are going to be really successful. We've had um, Keeping Faith, Keeping Faith, I think that's what it's called. We've had Hinterland and we've had Hidden, which I'm currently watching in Welsh. It's called Kreith in, in, in Welsh. They film them in English and in Welsh. Really? Right, so they're not dubbed, but yes. So when you get them on the BBC, you get mm. the English dialogue version of a programme that is produced in Welsh that also will have English subtitles that they could have just taken from S4C, but then they make it twice. To come back to, to quote a Korean on this, Bong Joon-ho, director yeah. of Parasite, Ooh. there's a lot to discover when we overcome the one-inch barrier of subtitles. It's just true. It's mm. true. And... It's interesting because I grew up with dubbed television, right? So, right. But it didn't stop the desire to learn English. It didn't stop the strong dominance of American culture and the strong cultural, what do you call it, cultural capital of USA and Britain mm-hmm. in Germany. Like yesterday, I'm oh, sorry, I'm going to stop being off on a tangent for a second, but hello, podcast listeners, here we are. Yesterday I watched, because <laughs> I found it on, on Netflix, for the first time ever in my life, in the original language, Trigger Happy TV. Because oh. I was like, oh, let's look at London in the year 2000. But I remember when this came out, I was already like in my little German village, just super, super Anglophile. And like if something was filmed and I saw in the background something that had like a pound sign, you know, in the currency or there was like a British phone box or something, I would just be, be really You're obsessed right. with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was on it. I was like, I was like how people are with K-pop now. I was with Britpop. Oh, Brit. Oh, a trend. Anyway, <laughs> but I, I watched it and I was like reflecting on this now. It's like it wasn't it was dubbed. It was not subtitled, even though it's a comedy show with not that much dialogue, really. Um, it's like a sketch show. It didn't stop me being really into like, maybe less so the language, but just it didn't stop the cultural capital just because it was dubbed. When you grow up, when you grow up in a in Germany and you're watching television and the television is dubbed into German, you always know, you always know, mm, right? Mm. And you know that that's not the original. And then the original um, Originalverfassung, so the original um, audio track, gains a lot of extra cred, right? So then they do cinema sh- screenings in the original, and people come and people are like, aha, yeah, and it gives it an extra kind of prestige. Right, anyway, yeah. I'm off on one. Shall we talk about data? <laughs> Let's data, data it up. Yeah, let's data it up. Okay, so the useful data that we found. Oh, you know what we, again, because I think trends are subjective secretly. Another thing to mention where we couldn't find really good data, but got a lot of really good sense of gut feeling um, before we dig into actual stats. I thought let's mention that we both surveyed people kind of in our online, in our social media audiences. And I think you've got the responses from your, your Instagram little poll. Yeah, I basically said, what's the coolest language right now? And got surprisingly quite mixed responses. Um, Spanish, Portuguese and Armenian, Italian, Korean, French, German, Arabic or Russian. I don't think I'm qualified to answer. Hashtag uncool. Japanese, Esperanto, <laughs> Espanol. Oh, no, that's the same one. Um, Tunisian Arabic, very specific one. Uh, possibly Korean because everyone wants to be in Squid Game 
always follows pop culture, no? Interesting. Uzbek, Mandarin, Korean because of BTS and Squid Game? Korean. And Spanish, Icelandic, Icelandic, English, Korean. So there is a dominance of Korean, which kind of oh, highly scientifically proved what we had predicted. Well, I think I think the data to a certain extent bears it out. So, okay, so let's let's dig into some data, and we've got two different data sources. We have to say they they reflect very different worlds. So the first that we found was the what's it called the British Council language trend report or something like that. But it's not actually about trends. It's actually just about hey, here's how language teaching is doing. Um, so there's not much really about trends in there, but we've got it. So we've got some data that we looked at about. British schools, because that's what the British Council talks about. And then they've done a survey, which I think is maybe more interesting for our purposes here, um, of 2,000 UK adults about the languages they study in lockdown. Um, so I've got a quote from the British Council Schools Report, which I think we'll just skim over today, because longest podcast ever. Um, there has been a large decline in the number of pupils entered for GCSEs and A-levels in... Other modern languages, i.e. languages other than French, German, Irish, Spanish and Welsh. Whilst French is the most popular language at primary, Key Stage 3 and GCSE, so up until they're 16, I think that's what that means. Yeah, that's right. Spanish is the most popular A-level language, which means um, 17, 18-year-olds, for the second year in a row. So they're saying it's all about the Espanol with the older teens, but then French is still super, super strong. Um, and when you looked at, so in the UK for the last, uh, let's say six, seven years, primary school, so the, is that infant schools? No. Prim yeah, infant when and junior. Little. Yeah, from like four to yeah. 11. Yeah. So primary schools in the UK now have to have a language or it's kind of like they're required to have some kind of language content. Um, one of my favorite bits about the report was actually where they talked about the non-formal ways of assessing kids. Um, you know, the creative stuff the teachers have come out with, like little badges and passports and that kind of thing. That was just joyful to read that we're not making eight-year-olds sit exams in French. Mm, that's fun. Yeah, so they're having some experience and maybe that's the new generation coming through. And then in the primaries, French was by far the most taught language. There was like 50% French. Do you know what's interesting about this is how it's French, 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 and then Spanish most popular at A-level, which is when, I mean, you choose your GCSEs, but that's based on what's on offer. Whereas at A-level, you tend yeah. to have a little bit more on offer because you can go to other schools or colleges or whatever, right? It's interesting that Spanish is popular there. So it's almost as if you're forced to do French because this is exactly what happened to me at school. I mean, I got to pick Spanish at GCSE, but I still had to do French to prove that I was capable of learning a language, <gasps> right? Christian so, had this. Christian wanted yeah. to do German and uh -huh. they wouldn't let him because he wasn't good enough at French, he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's almost like French is the kind of... Um, the benchmark keeper. yeah that yeah like the gatekeeping language of like well can you do it you can okay you can do spanish you can do german or whatever oh you're not very good with french so we're not going to let you do spanish and so i wonder if french kind of playing that role makes it seem less of a trend and makes spanish seem cooler right because it's not what you've been forced to do it's different you're 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 going out there and you're doing your own language Thank you very much, you know. I'm seeing something emerging here as well, a pattern of, like, because you, you're saying cool. And the question, it's interesting as well, because the question you asked was like cool. and But when you talk about it, it's almost like cool is not being in the trend. Ah, Cool is going against the trend. Yeah, like, yeah, because I'm thinking of trend. Like hipster. As Yeah, like I'm thinking of trend as something that is maybe yeah maybe it is against but yeah you're right there's also that other meaning of trend like what they're talking about here in this report mm -hmm. of it being what's happening yeah versus and that's how I was kind of thinking ah. about it most, mostly and you were thinking about it as almost like what's cool but cool is often you. when you see that a trend is emerging and you're like <laughs> 
I'm not going to go along with that. I'm actually not in the trend. You're Anne Hathaway in the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> but then because you are reacting to the trend, the trend is still influencing you. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Now, <laughs> um, so I, I think th the one thing that I maybe thought was interesting was that the people who are doing A-level now might have not had primary language as much as the people who are doing GCSE now. Yeah, 2014. You know, because it probably took a few years to kind of get, get going on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 2014, we're six years on. So that's the kind of kids who are coming, who are probably coming into GCSE sort of levels now. So if they had French contact really early on, maybe that's the more French. Hmm. Mm. You know? Um, whereas if you didn't have any primary languages you didn't have any contact very very young maybe you're a little bit more loosey-goosey in your teenage years yeah and maybe there's and still less people and you know as as that generation of people that had it from primary begin to come through maybe there will be more uptake it'll be interesting to see yeah okay i'm gonna leave the schools there because we've got so much more interesting or more relevant to adult learning stuff so quickly talk about this um British Council survey of 2,000 adults about which studies, which languages they study in lockdown. I don't know whether this is like, it's probably not representative data sample, but this is what we have. Um, and it's, I'm going to link it in the show notes as well if you want to dig, dig into it more, listeners. Now, the interest, number one interesting thing I thought was they asked people what they do in lockdown and 10% of people said languages. Now, I guess that you know, a lot of them might just be like, oh, yeah, I've started sitting down with Duolingo for a bit. Um, but never mind. But compare that to 49% of people doing fitness and health related stuff. And 31% of people baking and cooking <laughs> in lockdown. <laughs> did, did, does that represent, does that reflect your lockdown, Lindsay? <laughs> I probably had, if I think of it as like my time, there was probably more time percentage spent doing languages but yeah baking and cooking i mean there's someone on great british bake-off this year chicks he learned to bake in lockdown True. he's in the final four yeah could have learned spanish in lockdown but hey here we are <laughs> <laughs> but there's no he show right there's, there's no, no there's no great spanish. british spanish off is there no <laughs> the great british speak off unfortunately not yet no <laughs> um but there was also interesting because when you really looked at what they were asking they didn't actually ask people what languages do you learn or that the report didn't say anything like that the report then talked about what languages the survey asked people they think is the most important language for young people to learn it wasn't actually about which languages do you do at all. Um, and they said Spanish is the most important language for, for young people to learn, according to reasons, like we said, like there's more speakers or interesting, whatever it is, followed by French and Mandarin. Um, and I'm going to tell you about the uncool language. Go on. Which I th is German. Sad, sad, sad story. Oh. It says it said German remains the third most widely studied language at A level, but over the last decade it has suffered from suffered from severe declines, um, both at A level and then they kind of and at GCSE. So people just don't really do German as much as they used to. Um, it's particular, and then it, later it says it is particularly significant to business and research. So. Policymakers and academics often express concern about the decline of German in the UK, um, and I've also seen like industry reports. So, in a way, you've again. I wonder if it's less cool because you get more adults telling you how important it is to learn German, again, and then you don't want to do it. Yeah, the impact on it that then bucks the trend Maybe. and then creates the next trend. Yeah, mm. yeah, interesting. And one, one other thing from the British Council report that I thought was really interesting. You know, the primary schools that do do German, mm. most of them are in the richer areas. Ah, uh, that is interesting. Isn't it? So German, yeah. is, German is studied, but has a slight sort of economic wealth association, which I think is how people think about Germany. Or at least that's the impression I get when I talk to people, you know, and I regularly talk about Germany because I'm from Germany. Um, I get the impression people often think Germany is like this super rich country. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, efficient industry, Volkswagen, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. 
All right, let's get to let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the good okay. stuff. She says half an hour into the podcast. If you're still listening, hello, hello. Um, so we thought and looked around. So we've kind of done a few different ways of trying to see what's popular at the moment and trends and all that stuff. And yeah, you can find out what's being taught in schools and you can, you know, ask people. But really, most, the, probably the most revealing way to find out what's popular in adult languages, or at least what people are kind of picking up, doesn't say if they're sticking with it, but picking up and kind of curious about is obviously to see what's studied in apps. And the app that I know publishes every year, I think every year, sort of a, actually pretty substantial report about how languages are learned in this app is Duolingo. Um, and that's an interesting one because it is also the biggest. So we have had a look at the Duolingo language reports, I think they're called, from 2020. And there's been one specifically about the UK. Um, I haven't found a USA one, so there may have been one, but we'll have a look at the global and then the UK one. Um, Lindsay, do you just want me to run through this and then go react? For it. Or do you have any pre-comments? No, go for it. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Okay. So <laughs> the first thing that Duolingo reported about 2020 um, is that there was a huge spike in users when COVID hit and that the spikes in users, I thought this was so, so interesting, were closely linked to government policies and especially to how clearly and decisively governments communicated them. This was already apparent immediately after lockdown. So they saw increases in new learners in each countries when the countries announced the lockdowns. That is fascinating. I think I've seen, they have graphs on that, right? I think, I feel like I've seen a graph on this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's very, very interesting. Which to me just shows how much people want to learn a language and how much people think that time is the barrier. Is a factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Yes, although there is a secondary issue, or actually it was a maybe even a primary issue, which is that lots of people lost school contact and school tuition. So started, also picked true. up the apps to replace yes. what they were missing in schools. Um, so the apps kind of took a sort of supply teacher role almost. Yeah, that's very true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they, you, you've lost, because you've lost your language practice, at least for a bit while all the schools are scrambling and not knowing how to do online teaching and all that stuff. So, but yeah, I think you're right. I think people, there is a huge huge perception out there even from people who have done languages before that you have to make time for a language and and that that means hours and hours every week which isn't true it really is not true okay so english is always at the top in duolingo english is the most popular language in duolingo and that's in i don't see it as a trend because it's just it's like a the state of the world, right? It's, it's just the world we live in. Um, but it's interesting because the other app, and I want to give a huge shout out here to Steph from Drops. The other app that we've got data from is Drops. And in Drops, English is not the most popular language. Um, so I think that can be explained when you look at the user base. So Duolingo just has a much, much bigger global spread and really is kind of everywhere. Um, and by that, through that, I think English has become the most studied language on Duolingo, which reflects English being just in demand in so many countries around the world. Um, and I thought that was interesting because it, it again shows what we're seeing in, you know, when we're asking people and every in every context here is if you're asking what's an important language to learn, what's a cool language to learn, what's a trendy language to learn, it always depends on who you ask. Mm. Mm. So then in the report, I skipped to the fastest growing languages bit, right? Because that's where the trends are. Um, and Duolingo also reports a rise in Asian languages. Their most popular language is actually, in 2020, was actually Hindi. Out of the, wow. fast, the fastest growing language was actually Hindi. But then when you read the report in detail, it said they had a new Hindi course. They didn't have a Hindi course before. Okay. So it might also be the newness and obviously India's got a huge population. So if it's out there, that, that would have something to do with it. I wouldn't necessarily think that there's a social 
um, context there. And the learners of Hindi stated much, much more than the learners of Korean and Japanese that they learn for family reasons rather than culture or travel. Mm. Interesting. So I've got a quote. It says, the meteoric rises of Asian languages indicate the global interest in these languages and their cultures is more than a passing fad. Fad? A trend? Trend. Interesting. <laughs> While... Yeah. While English, Spanish and French might be comfortably at the top of the list in 2020, language trends are actually changing fast. Korean jumped two places this year and Chinese is set to overtake Russian for the number nine spot by the end of next year. Hmm. Yeah. So it'll be, I think this is interesting to observe. I'm not entirely sure what that tells us about. I mean, yeah, because if if we think back to what we said earlier about like when I was looking for those lists and it's like, oh, this is cool because it's really good for business or whatever. Chinese, mm. English, Spanish, French, they're still kind of fulfilling that same perception, I think, in a lot of cases. Not to say, that's not to say there's not great reasons, like kind of fun pop culture reasons to learn those languages. But there's also this expectation that, Chinese is going to take over the business world. You've got to learn Mandarin, you know. People have literally been saying that for like 25 years. I know. I'm kind of waiting for <laughs> my entire life. <laughs> When's it going to happen, guys? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I think I don't. It's interesting because I, the, the only way I would find that actually useful is if I was, okay, if I was like, <laughs> I want to say like, if I was Ollie Richards, you know what I mean? Like if I was, in the business of making language courses, then I would look at this and I'd be like, oh, better make more content in Korean and Chinese. Like, let's put the Russian on the back burner. Right. And that would be the only context in which I would find this, like, useful. Um, but, of course, you know, for, for me, it's... I don't know whether this influences individuals. And this gave me a general reflection on trends, which was that they do matter a lot across like populations, but on the individual level, maybe it's again the sort of coolness and you know resisting a trend on an individual level, they don't actually predict what a person's going to do at all. Mm, mm. Interesting. I've just invalidated the whole episode, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> but that's it though. It's, it's interesting to discuss this, right? Because like what we've kind of uncovered is there's often that tendency to want to go against the trend. And so mm. it's almost like, I mean, th it happens all the time, right? If we take another like area where you kind of see trends happen, if we think of music, it happens all the time mm. where someone will get so pedestaled up there, like, oh my God, aren't they amazing? They're so cool. They're so cool. And then just ripped back down because they're too cool. They're too much of a trend. They're too popular. They're too everywhere. And actually... Mm -hmm people get bored because they want to go against the trend. It's very rare for people to be able to stay up there on that pedestal for decades, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting to discuss this stuff in terms of language to then think about how this does impact our own decisions of what we want to learn. Yeah. And to just generally reflect on the fact that trends do influence us in language learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, just for example, and how... Later, we'll see this more, like how general social trends and social discuss discussions can impact us all the way down to language learning. So I'm, I'm thinking just off, off the top of my head of, you know, the kind of social justice discourse that we've had in the last two, three years and how now I see, and we're not going to see this reflected in the apps because it's too small, but there's much more interest and desire around... Um, recognizing and then also learning indigenous languages and people want to mm. talk about it more mm. i every time there's a indigenous language you know like I, I i do an interview on a podcast or something and there's an indigenous language like mentioned we talk about it i get responses i get responses from people saying yes this is so important we must must do it um and i think maybe 10 years ago that would have flown under the radar but now we are ready for it through society preparing us because we've had so much social so, social justice discourse. That's interesting. Especially you just said about like if companies look at the data and think, oh, I should make more courses in this language or that language because mm -hmm. it's popular. That then also has this unintentional 
impact of there being more and more out there for these languages that grow bigger and bigger in terms of resources available mm -hmm. and there's less effort then um, to go around almost to, to kind of you know create resources and kind of actively promote the study of indigenous languages the study of lesser studied languages with less resources out there and yeah in that sense or I think it's, it's a shame yeah <laughs> um that was a joke um but no i agree <laughs> i agree that's also like again the tyranny of rose gold article kind of captured that as well this sort of the way a trend actually is an interesting development at the heart of it and and something fairly original um and then it's you know it just snowballs into into something different into yeah. something much more overwhelming okay so um, a few extra comments. The British language report, or the British-specific one, kind of echoes the global report in Duolingo, except that the fastest-growing Duolingo language in lockdown, or maybe due to lockdown, don't know, um, last year, either way, was Welsh. So uh -huh. that's an interesting one, because the Welsh course is not new, um, but a lot of people kind of picked up that course, and at least, again... Because somebody picks up Duolingo and does a Welsh, like three Welsh levels or something like that, they're not automatically like serious about Welsh, but people were kind of curious and playing around. And that um, also, what now, we just literally just mentioned about there being this mm -hmm. kind of element of justice and wanting to recognize and learn indigenous languages as well. Yes, potentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Okay, so again, Duolingo doesn't represent as well interest in every single language ever because, as we've seen with Hindi, if they don't have a course in it, they can't capture data of whether people are interested in it. Um, the other app, and big, big shout out here because we sort of got custom data here, um, and I've got a, a graph in the show notes that you can have a look at, is Drops. Um, and I do apologize, Lindsay, the graph seems to have dropped out so you can't actually see it now the image um but i'll tell you quickly the drops stats um they also had korean growing that was kind of the biggest thing that you could see and they gave me the data from the last three years so you could really see the development and you could see how their user base has changed over the last three years so that you can see where people are learning these languages um, and the big things that i observed was a rise in korean and japanese a decline in German and French and British English. Not British English. So the drops... Not British English. Oh, my God, governor. <laughs> Gordon Bennett. <laughs> Cup of tea. I don't know. <laughs> what, what happens in this British English course? Now I want to know. Um, and the other thing was that Spanish is not in the top 10 most learned languages. Not oh. for all three years. Spanish dropped out. And I was like, what? Um, but it might be, again, might be to do with the user base. Um, and then over the years, Arabic has come into the top 10. I kind of have a feeling, again, this is just a gut feeling, that Arabic is going to be trendier over the next years. You think it's coming? You think it's the next Korean wave? I feel Korean like there's wave. some rumblings. Arabic wave. I, don't, I mean, can you imagine A-pop? I mean, there's probably a Spotify playlist. <laughs> I <don't know>. Already, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you say that. I do. I do listen to a lot of Arabic music. There's a lot out there, and a lot of it is very, very good. So all we need is a viral hit exactly. and a TV show. Exactly. That's um, it. And I, Boom. I do want to recognise Arab. <laughs> Arabia or Arabic is not a country. So I just, we, we, I am aware. I am aware. Um, so maybe it's like the, it's going to be Egyptian pop and it's going to be the Eve wave or something like that. <laughs> but if we're doing Egyptian Arabic. But um, yeah, so Arabic, maybe. Um, and the other thing that just to mention here is that the Drops user base is mostly US dominated, but it's only about a quarter. Um, they, over the last three years, they've really, really dropped users in China and in Russia. So I wonder if that somehow has affected then, because, because what we saw in Duolingo was mm. to say like English in Korea and Japan, Korean yeah. and Japan is really popular. But, but also in Drops, English is not at the top. So I think it's just like these different apps have got different user bases. And it was very interesting to observe. And in the show notes, you get uh, a graphic. And again, kudos to Drops because the Steph from Drops, the Twitter handler, Twitter account handler, really, really went out of her way. 
So, Lindsay, from all this data, have we learned anything new that we wouldn't have been able to gut feel? Honestly, the biggest thing that I've learned is, I think, just talking through this and you mentioning how... But like when I said about like people then wanting to learn Spanish at A-level because they'd done French and that was like the boring kind of benchmark that you had to do. And then suddenly you go against it to do Spanish. Like that is the most like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what trend is. That's how it evolves, isn't it? That's how it changes. So that's been my biggest moment. Yeah, we're all unique in the least individual way possible. Put that on a fridge magnet. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do a line. I'll do a line. Okay, so to close us off, I've got a sort of set of observations and these are not from any data. These are just things that I think are perhaps trends in the world of language learning that I've observed around. So I've, I, I will present you with these and then you tell me if you feel the same way, I guess, if this, if this is like, a, oh yeah, I've seen this. And actually, two of them, this is like where I spot my trends seemingly, two of them are picked up from the Women in Language chat when we run Women in Language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because people are talking, right? And people talk about what they need and what they want. Um, so at Women in Language a few years ago, I noticed there was a huge like cry out for comprehensible audio. Everybody wanted more audio. Everybody wanted more audio resources. And I feel like that's kind of died down. But did you observe that in any way in the last few years? I didn't, but it does tie in, doesn't it, with the crash and comprehensible input just being everywhere, constantly, like any time anyone on the internet talks about language, wants to get sciencey and linguistic. We have to wheel out the crash and clack. Crash and. Not there's anything wrong. With crashing, but there's other linguists out there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually. Okay, so then I also wrote that one down. Um, the crashing, I wrote the clash, the crashing klaxon, um, which I we don't have the audio for it, but crashing. Yes. So if you if you don't know what we're talking about when we say crashing, um, there is one linguistic theory that is very much related to language learning or language acquisition um, that. I think was part of a movement against teaching rules first, grammar first approaches and went all the way to coining the phrase comprehensible input. If you've heard that one before, um, that basically means if you are presented with or if you consume a lot of material in your target language that you can understand then you don't really need to understand every single bit of it you don't really need to know all the different rules and by just doing that you're going to learn a lot of the language right comprehensible input Lindsay, did i roughly get that right yeah and what it often good, gets good, mistaken good. for is cool so i can just put stuff on in the background and listen i can just read a book and Nah, that's not quite it, Ugh. which I think is, is a shame because that's not that's not what Krashen is really saying. That's it. And it's yeah, it's a very I mean, if you it's been absolutely butchered. And I think the thing is it it has informed and served well an awful lot of tech based approaches and materials and stuff. And as such, you will see this a lot used the comprehensible input like input theory um, you will see a lot kind of thrown around as the scientific method that underlies and then will guarantee you success when you use a specific type of product or app which again is not wrong but through that it's kind of become like advertising and then people have kind of taken it and made it into like winning method and then you get the kind of like YouTube bros talking about it as well because it's science um, and it's just kind of been really simplified to its absolute core um, and yeah I don't know this is boring but yeah so if you um, Netty on Facebook also because I asked about trends also mentioned this sort of anti-grammar push and I think that kind of goes mm. along with this and the comprehensible so when people talk I think anyone using the word comprehensible is essentially to some certain extent crush and influenced um, mm. and the sort of input theory so that's one trend 
And then I also think um, a desire for connection and people wanting to connect with each other. That might just be an internet observation or something like that. But like people wanting to learn languages in a community of language learners. Um, have you observed a change in this? Do you think COVID had something to do with it? Possibly COVID. Yeah, maybe. Might just be social media in general. Mm. Um, okay, then the next one is is really a reflection on the fact that we've we've kind of touched on it. Languages change to reflect, or languages um, our the way languages are learned and the kind of things we care about, and actually language itself changes to reflect what we care about and and what's important. And I've already mentioned social justice in a previous context, but I think there's been much more focus among learners and just generally in the languages on a much stronger interest in how how languages express like gender identity gender neutrality and i think that's that's just really mirroring society but again like i think you mentioned that you've recently had this ex experiences in russian yeah yeah when i i asked my teacher because i noticed that when i was saying like was like bill and billa whether you're ma you know mm -hmm. male or female and i'm like well What do you say if you don't identify as male or female? How do you navigate that when literally you just want to say, I was this, I did this thing, I went to this place. And you have to make that decision every time. Like, wow, how do you, how do you navigate that? Um, and we, we didn't know. So, yeah, there's, there's still, it's, it's something that, yeah, I definitely think about more, like you say, because it's mm. sort of societally present, you know? Yeah. Like you individually don't have that need, but the interest in how do I serve that need is there because yeah. that's just a general social question that we have to ask ourselves now, that we are asking ourselves is how do we serve that need? Exactly, yeah. Mm. Mm. So I think I think that kind of, and the focus and discussions about it and stuff, that's something that is, um, again, not a trend in the sense of it will pass, it's not important, but a trend in the sense of this is something that's happening. Mm. Um Next one, I wrote last one, but I've got two. So, hey, uh, next one, uh, mindfulness and slower learning and a kind of sense of self-compassion. Um, and I thought about this again. It's it goes hand in hand with how in our societies we are making an effort to talk more openly about mental health struggles in general and how young people are suffering um, Young and old, then we all are, you know, life's hard. But, you know, the general openness and uh, readiness to talk about mental health, I think that's coming into coming into language learning a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, kind of like the last point, it's something like you say, that's kind of societally a, a conversation. And so, of course, it's going to be impacting language learning. Mm. And I've, I, I thought of that as well as like, it's it's almost like a reaction. You know how like maybe this kind of attention to self-compassion and slowing down a little bit is like a reaction to very demanding work cultures and productivity cultures and perhaps in language learning as well. Like, you know, it's obviously languages are, our languages are our lives. How we do our languages is how we live our lives. But the, the, this is almost like a counter trend to apps that put a strong emphasis on like being fast and efficient. Yeah, again, that's with just my the... dream because people still want to get results fast, don't they? No, that makes sense. It's again with the kind of bucking of the trend, you know, of like, mm -hmm. oh, why is this so fast and intense? I'm going to just I, I don't want to do it that way I want to do it this way you know yeah yeah and I think that's like it's certainly a narrative that I find myself wanting to support liking to support and I'm actually quite pleased that this is a trend because I feel you know when a trend happens to match how you're thinking and then you feel like oh people I told you so I've already been saying that for 20 years <laughs> Yeah, when that so, when that indie yeah, that, band becomes famous, when you see your outfit in the shop window, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. I was mindful before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Very mindfully said. Okay, the last one, and this is from a teacher, because I was asking as well, like, 
other people, any trends that they see. Um, I think this is interesting. That something that they mentioned is this sort of sense of TikTok teaching. So TikTok or Instagram reels, um, people dancing around and like pointing at grammar mistakes. Or I don't know what on earth people do on reels. Um, but then like YouTube kind of things as well. And I think that the general kind of sort of language light, I would call it. Um, and I've seen this with the, the YouTube expat is a huge thing at the moment. Um, we've seen this in the Women in Language nominations. We've had quite, we've had a good bunch, like not hundreds, but we've had a good bunch of people nominating as like where I learn about language, where I go to think about language, right? Uh, YouTubers who do this kind of like an American in Germany kind of content. Hmm. Interesting. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I don't really know what to do with that or whether this is all like connected, but this sort of, I feel like a kind of a lighter discourse about language. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I've not noticed Oh, you that. know what's on the down? Those ridiculous memes where it's like French, a pretty word. Spanish, a pretty oh, word. Yeah. Germans, someone melting. I don't know. It's just, ugh, I've always hated those. That was always the Schmetterling. Yeah, it's always that one, isn't it? <laughs> As if Schmetterling isn't a lovely word. Anyway, <laughs> so certainly, like, there are some trends in how content is made as well. And again, like, language content and how languages are taught almost, like, that's then changes to reflect as well. So in conclusion, one thing that I really, really felt strongly all throughout this is, like, language trends, re they really reflect our social trends. Mm. And that seemed to be really consistent. And the other big conclusion I have is like, yes, okay, the Korean trend is, that's true. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it be true. That's a <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The data bears it out. Ah, I'm glad. I'm glad. Are you with Korean and Japanese? I'm just, I'm glad that I, I was kind of onto something when we, when we were chatting about it. And I was thinking like, you know, what is I'm glad that it's we've we've got to that point. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, I've got one final question that I must ask you. Go on. As the global expert, where does this leave us with regards to the Despacito effect? Lindsay Williams. Oh global man. Despacito expert. Well, it it just proves it. It just proves it, right? We, like you say, we're just waiting for that A pop banger. We're waiting for like the I don't know, the Yoruba Netflix series that explodes. Like, that is what you need to start the snowball, to start the the kind of curiosity train of pop culture that then becomes a social trend, that then becomes potentially a language trend, you know? So I'm excited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you think the, like otherworldliness of a lot of the Korean pop culture, but sort of, it's like otherworldly, right? Because it's very, um, a lot of it's quite extreme. Like I'm just thinking about Gangnam Style and what I have heard about Squid Game because I refuse. I'm, not because I'm super cool, I don't like screen violence. Um, but like there's a sort of, it's a recognizably something that we can relate to. Like, I, again, I'm thinking about Gangnam Style, like he's in a in a city. It looks like a cityscape that you would get in lots of other places. But it's just over the top. And that over the topness, do you think that makes it a little bit more palatable to people? Hmm. Interesting question. So another, if we think about shows, another really popular Netflix show is Money Heist, La Casa de Papel, which is Spanish, mm. which is people like... I think I think what it is, I think, I don't know if it's over the topness. I think it's like a very strong kind of aesthetic. And that is what mm, K-pop has. Mm -hmm. That is what Squid Game has. That's what Money Heist has. Ooh, and you know who else? Go on. Rammstein. Yeah, that's true. It's a, it's a strong aesthetic. Maybe they need to come back with a Deutsche Banger and then they can... <laughs> Create the next snowball and German will be cool again. Make German, Make cool, German again. cool again. Make German cool again. Hey, I like that. Let's end it on that. <laughs> Make German cool again. <laughs>
Oh, well, this was this was really, really fun. I'm not sure if I've got like any life conclusions from it, but it was just thinking through all of this and observing. I feel really, I feel better informed, better prepared for going back into like the crazy world of Instagram and, you know, sort of where people talk about languages. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was fun. And I'm also looking forward to the 2021 Duolingo language report to see if their prediction has come through true about Chinese being set to overtake Russian. Let's see what happens. That's what you're looking forward to? Not to see the graph of when Squid Game is released and when <laughs> whether Korean learners go boom again? <laughs> Apparently you can do that on, on Google Trends, but unfortunately ah, yeah. we don't have a team of researchers big enough on this podcast, the researchers being you and me. <laughs> like, um, you could go into do Google Trends and actually see perhaps like when was Gangnam Style released? And then do like a search for Korean language and see if there's any spikes. That would have been yeah. quite interesting. But unfortunately, I ran out of time. And I think we're all running out of time because this is a long podcast episode already. So we're going to draw it to a close for today. I think if you are in the USA, you've just enjoyed a holiday week. So hopefully this has been your nice kind of get back into life. And if you're not in the USA, I hope you're just having a really wonderful day it's the last the last monday in november uh we're heading towards the end of the year so let's get all them reports word of the year and all the really wonderful things coming back out and if you have been observing or spotting a language learning trend that we have not covered here in the show please let us know and you can find the fluent show at the fluent show on twitter you can find me at k-e-r-s-t-i-n underscore fluent on Instagram or just hashtag the fluent show and I'll find you. And Lindsay is at Lindsay does languages on all the things except Twitter. Is that right? Yep. Twitter is at LD languages. So really, really looking forward to hearing from you. Don't forget to leave us a review. Five stars would be appreciated. Thank you very much. Goodbye from me. Goodbye. And goodbye from Lindsay Williams. Bye. Thank you for listening to the fluent show. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by subscribing for new episodes and leaving a rating and review in your podcast app. You can visit us at fluentlanguage.co.uk anytime. Don't forget that you can send us your questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find the show on Twitter and say hello over there. It's at The Fluent Show and on Instagram, it's hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always happy to hear from you and we read every message and review. See you next episode.